you would, please keep your Bibles open there to Proverbs chapter 3. Of course, our theme for the year is the song that our choir open up with each service. is rooted deeply, standing firmly, and living steadfastly. Last, somebody's excited about it, aren't they? <laughs> Last Sunday, we began our third point there, living steadfastly on steadfastly trusting the Lord. Steadfastly trust the Lord. As Pastor Nichols said, this probably one of the most popular verses in the Bible on the subject of trusting God. And I'd like to look at two things this morning. Look at, first of all, God's command, and then our application of that command. God's command and application of that command. We're going to, first of all, we're going to look at positive command, then also negative command. God gave us three positive commands, then three negative commands, then we're going to conclude by a wonderful outcome from those commands. So again, the Proverbs chapter 3, again, that very common verse, Notice the first three words there. First three words in Proverbs 3, verse 5 is what? Trust in the Lord. The first command that God gives his people is to trust in the Lord. The word trust means to rely upon, have confidence in. How many of you have confidence in God? It's hard and difficult and probably not wise to have confidence in men. Men will fail you, but God will never fail you. And the Bible says we are to trust in the Lord, have confidence in him. But notice him, the trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Now, the word heart in the Bible can refer to several things, refer to your emotions. It can refer to your intellect, your thinking, but also your will. But notice it says trust in the Lord with all thine heart, which means it means to completely and totally trust the Lord with your whole being. So here God commands us as his people to completely, totally entrust God with every aspect of our lives. Let me give you three things that trusting God will bring. I hope you write them down. Three things that trusting God will bring. Number one, prosperity. Prosperity. All from the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 28, 25. It said, he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made what? You say, Pastor, I know a lot of Christians that must be trust the Lord. <laughs> it's not talking about physical size. We're talking about God's prosperity. Maybe it could be financially, but priority and spiritually. That if I want to grow and mature spiritually, I need to trust the Lord. And I'll be made fat spiritually. Trust the Lord and you shall be made fat. The second thing trust the Lord brings is safety. Is safety. Proverbs 29, 25, it says, Whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. When you see all this going on in our biggest cities, all the rioting, all the violence, safety is a very important word to people today. And God tells us if we trust him, we shall be safe. The next word that trusting brings is protection. Protection. Proverbs 30, verse 5, God is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. So we're saying here as a Christian, if I follow God's command, if I trust him with all my heart, I will experience prosperity, I will experience safety, and also protection. That's God's promise to those who trust in him. Number two, the second positive command is to acknowledge him. To acknowledge him. It says there in verse 6, and all thy ways acknowledge him. What does it mean to acknowledge God? Let me first of all tell you what it does not mean. It does not mean just give him a nod of his presence. 
Many times you come into church and see some of you know and you kind of look at them like that. It's not talking about that knowledge that way. Let me give you two words that will define this idea of acknowledging God. And while you're doing that, turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Keep your finger in it. Uh, Proverbs, 1 Corinthians 6, page 1608. The first word that will help us understand what it means to acknowledge God is the word recognition. Recognition. Again, page 1608. A few weeks ago, I had a lady come to me and said, Pastor, I've looked up those page numbers you give me every week, and it's not there. Of course, she was using her own Bible. <laughs> this is the church Bible. It may not be your Bible the page number, but the, if those using the church Bible, which we strongly encourage you to borrow one for the service, page 1608, 1 Corinthians 6:19. the context here, there are many believers who are living immoral lives, doing things they should not do, and God, Paul was getting to realize something they may have already knew, but at least they need to recognize, and this is one way we can acknowledge God, a recognition, verse 19, I'll read verse 19 and verse 20, many of you know this verse, but look at it with me, please. He says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. There's three things uh, Paul is calling upon these believers to recognize about God, and it's one way we can acknowledge God. First of all, recognize his presence. His presence. These believers involve immorality, so don't you realize your body is God's temple? What does that mean? That means God is present with you by dwelling you. When you were saved, God himself and by the Holy Spirit indwelt you. Your body is his temple. He lives inside you. He said he'll never leave you nor forsake you. And one way we can acknowledge God in all our ways is acknowledge his presence in our lives. Next, acknowledge his person. Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God himself. Can you fathom that, that God himself lives inside of you? Your body is his temple and dwelling place. The very one who spoke this world into existence abides in you. Your body is his temple. When I acknowledge him, I acknowledge his presence, his person, but next, his place. Acknowledge his place. What is his place? A place of ownership. It says in the latter part of verse 19, it says, Ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Christian, you don't belong to you. You belong to God. And one way I can acknowledge him in all my ways, acknowledge his presence, his person, and his place that he owns me. And the next word we, to define, acknowledge him, recognition and reflection. A reflection. He goes on to say, letting my actions and behavior reflect these truths. What truths? That his, my body is his temple. He lives inside me. I belong to him. My actions should reflect that. He says in verse 20, the latter part, therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are what? God's. So the first command God gives us in the book of Proverbs, he commands me to trust him with all my heart. And then he goes on to say, to acknowledge him in all my ways. Not some of my ways, but all my ways. Everything I do, all my ways, I should acknowledge him by recognizing his presence, his person, his place, and my actions reflect those truths in my life. 
Number three, the third positive command. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. It says there in verse 7, it says, verse 7, be not wise in thy own eyes, fear the Lord. That's a positive command. What does it mean to fear the Lord? The word fear means to stand in awe, reverence, and reverential respect. One thing our country, our people, this country lacks is fear of God. By the way, do you fear the Lord? I'm not talking about that when you talk about and mention him, you just shiver because you're scared to death of him. It's talking about just a sense of awe, respect of who he is. One thing I learned very quickly to fear my father. He was a man of his word. What he told me to do, I better do. If I did not do, it cost me something. I was not afraid of him. I enjoyed being with him, but I respected him tremendously because he was a person of his word. And the Bible says we are to fear the Lord, to give reverential respect and reverence toward him. Let me give you three things that reverence, this fear in the Lord brings. Fear of the Lord brings, number one, knowledge and wisdom. If I fear the Lord, it will bring knowledge and wisdom from God in my life. Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. How many of you say, would say, I need knowledge and wisdom in, this, in the life I live today? We have so many decisions to make. I need God's wisdom. I need his knowledge. And he'll give that to you as a result of fear in him. It's the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom that fear brings. Number two, the next one, letter B. Fear in the Lord brings longevity of life. Longevity of life. Proverbs 10, 27. The fear of the Lord prolongeth days. Proverbs 14, 27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain, the source of life. God promises a long life for those who fear him. So there's benefits for serving the Lord. Wisdom, knowledge, longevity. And let us see another result of fearing the Lord is security and protection. Security and protection. Proverbs 14, 26, all from the book of Proverbs. By the way, I would encourage you, if you to do your, your daily devotion, read a chapter of Proverbs every day. There's 31 chapters. You can read the whole book in one month. What a great book. Tremendous wisdom and direction from God. And all of these are found right in that book of Proverbs. Security and protection. Proverbs 14, 26. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. means security. And his children shall have a place of refuge. One thing the world lacks today is security and protection. God offers that for those who fear him. These are the positive commands of God. Trust the Lord, acknowledge him, and fear him. Next, let's look at the negative commands, just as important as the positive. The negative commands also mentioned here, threefold. In verse 5, the middle part, it says, Lean not to thine own understanding, which means do not rely upon human reasoning. Do not rely upon human reasoning. In all the decisions we make in life, so often we lean upon our own understanding, our own reasoning, what we think is best, and how many times we fall into so much trouble and problem because of that. The word lean not, the word lean has the idea of trust. It means to rest or rely upon. God says in life, don't rest upon your own understanding. 
don't lean to your own human reasoning. All reliance on our, our own reasoning and understanding must be forever relinquished and replaced by total trust in God and his word. Why, why should I not lean to my own understanding? Why should I not trust my own way of thinking? Good question. I'm glad you asked. Hold your finger here. Go to Isaiah 55, please. Isaiah 55, page 1049, for those using the church Bible. To many, it may be a familiar verse, but it sure applies to this idea of not leaning or not trusting my own human reasoning. Isaiah 55, look with me in verse 8, please. Isaiah 55, 8. Thank you for turning with me. In your Bibles, Isaiah 55, verse 8, again, page 1049 for those using a church Bible. Verse 8, God speaking here. God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. Verse 9, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God doesn't think the way we think. He doesn't understand things we understand. Our understanding is very limited. God's is unlimited. Why would we trust in our own understanding when we can trust in one who knows all? And so often we have a decision we make based upon what we think is best and do not go to God and ask him what he thinks best. His thoughts are not your thoughts. His ways are not your ways. So why not rely upon him? Someone said this. Self-confidence in the Christian life is a road to destruction. You got to write that down. Self-confidence is what our world focuses on. Self-confidence in the Christian life is a road to destruction. The believer ought not be self-confident. We ought to be God-confident. The next negative command, not only do not rely upon human reasoning, but avoid human wisdom. Very similar to the first one. Avoid human wisdom. It says there in verse 7, it says, be not wise, where? In thine own eyes. Be not wise in your own eyes. So often we look to our own wisdom. And especially for those of us that are older, we have life behind us. We've learned a lot of things over the years, and, and we've experienced a lot of things. And many times we base our decision on, on human reasoning and wisdom. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But we need to realize there's somebody much wiser than we are. And why wouldn't we go to him? Why would we rely upon our own wisdom? And it says, be not wise your own eyes. Proverbs 28, 26. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Boy, that's strong, isn't it? But whoso walketh wisely shall be delivered. God said, if you trust your own heart, your own wisdom, your own way of thinking, God calls you a fool. Because so often we make so many mistakes because we rely upon our own human reasoning and our own human wisdom. Number three, the third negative command is in verse seven. It says, depart from evil, which means put away what is displeasing to God. Put away what is displeasing to God. Anything you do that God is not pleased with, put that away. The word depart means to turn or put aside, put away, dispose, reject. And so often we do things we know God is not pleased with. God says, depart from that. Put away which is displeasing to God. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord 
is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy, and the evil way. Proverbs 16, 6. By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. So again, these results from fearing God, we need to depart from evil. So we had three positive commands. What were they? Trust the Lord, acknowledge him, depart from evil. And then it goes on to say, not depart from evil, what was it? Fear the Lord, thank you. And the next three, the negative ones, is do not rely upon human reasoning, avoid human wisdom, and put away that which pleases God. Let me give you a wonderful outcome if you do that. A wonderful outcome right here in verse 6. It says, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall what? Direct your path. How many need God's direction in life? Now, this means more than just guidance, though it means that. The word direct means to make level, to smooth out, to make straight. This is more than just guidance. It means God removes the obstacles and making a smooth path and a way of life. Proverbs teaches those who trust and acknowledge the Lord, life is easier and have less problems. doesn't mean you won't have any problems. We have a lot less than the unsaved. So many unsaved, our life is full of problems. But God said, you know what? If you trust me and acknowledge me in all your ways you want to do, I'll make your path smooth. I don't know about you. That's worth doing. <laughs> it's not a bumpy ride. It'd be a smooth ride in the Christian life if you do what he says here. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he shall direct your paths. Next, the next wonderful outcome is God's blessing on our health. God's blessing on our health. Look in verse 8, please. Verse 8. We saw there in verse 7, Be not wise your own eyes, fear the Lord, depart from evil. Verse 8, It shall be health to thy navel, and morrow to thy what? bones. This refers both to spiritual and physical refreshment. It only affects me physically, but spiritually, I can be refreshed by doing so. So what a wonderful outcome when I obey God's positive and negative commands. So let's go to the next point. Are you with me so far? We saw God's commands. Now our application. Our application. I said this before, but it's been such a help. How many of you that married your wife, such a blessing to you. You better raise your hand. She's looking at you. <laughs> My wife is to me so many ways. So many of the messages that I preach that you think is so good, my wife should get the credit for. And the reason why is, my as a teacher, I focus so much on doctrine. I love doctrine. And my wife asked me during the week, what are you preaching on, Dave? And I tell him, they said, how does that apply to me? She likes application. Of course, doctrine cannot be any good to you unless you apply it. So let's apply what we just learned. How do we apply trust the Lord with all our hearts? And lean not to our understanding. All our ways acknowledge him. How do we apply that? I'm glad you asked. First of all, right in the context here in verse 9, we should trust God to provide our needs. We should trust God to provide our needs. Verse 9, first of all, he tells us, our part. Verse 9, he says, Honor the Lord with thy what? Substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. The word honor means to give glory and get credit. Substance means your material possessions. 
The word first fruits means the first and the best. Increase means income and revenue. What are you saying? Look over here, please. One way we can trust the Lord is with him to provide our needs. And the way God provides our needs is when I honor him with my substance. All that God gives to me, by the way, belongs to him. And I'm to honor him by giving him the first fruits of all my increase. What are the first fruits? The Jewish person knew exactly what the first fruits were. It was the first pickings of their crops. As farmers go out there and plant crops, the harvest come in. God said, the first pickings are mine, God said. And you're to give me the first and the best you got. That was their way of acknowledging it all come from him. That all belonged to him. Honor me with the first fruits and with all thine increase. You know, this verse, can I, can I be transparent with you? Does the pastor ever struggle at times? Yes, he does. You know, uh, because of my age and we're uh, coming to the place soon retirement, my wife and I are now looking into uh, getting Social Security and Medicare. And boy, that's been a headache. We have not got that yet. But we look at, they sent us a paper of all the Social Security we're going to get between myself and my wife. And we look at it, and when we retire, that'd be a major part of our income. And I look at it, and I go, oh, <laughs> it's not very much. However, after that, I say, you know, you have to take out taxes. And you tithe it. It is less than that. And I go, ooh. Yet God says, David, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll what? Direct your past. Now, my wisdom, my understanding says, I can't afford to live if I tithe this. I can't afford to make it if I give God his part. But there comes the second, God's part, our part, excuse me, is to honor him. What is God's part? I'm glad you asked. Verse 10, he will bless us. He will bless us. So shall thy barns be filled with what? Plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. That doesn't necessarily mean you have a fat bank account. That means God says, I'm going to take care of you. I'll take care. How many of you believe that? Many of you are, are, are where I am getting to right now. You live on Social Security and a fixed income, and you see prices going up and up and up, and your income is staying the same. My friend, we have, do not trust your income. Trust God. Trust God. He'll take care of you. That's what he says. How are you to honor him? Let me give you some, does the New Testament teach this, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. It does. Let me show you some New Testament affirmation of this. Luke 6, 38. Look on the screen, please. What's the first word? Give and what? It shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. But God says, you give, I'll take care of you. My friend, you cannot outgive God. Somebody said, you shovel out your tithe, and God's shovel's bigger than yours. He will provide your needs. Philippians 4, do not turn there. Again, another New Testament truth to affirm this. In chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is speaking to the Philippian church, and he says this, verse 15. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as get, concerning giving and receiving, but the only. For even in Thessalonica you sent once and again to my necessity. What Paul was saying, as a uh, missionary, Paul said, no church supports me but you. Now, I have a hard time understanding that. Paul established many churches. 
Yet only one church supported him, and that was the church of Philippi. And he told me, no church does that but you, but he said this to them. But my God should supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. There's that promise. That when I honor him, whether they give him my tithe or give him to missions, God says, I will take care of you. Do you believe that? And that's a wonderful outcome when we apply this truth of trusting the Lord. Let me give you another one, another area we can trust the Lord. Again, in the context, go back to Proverbs. We should trust him to provide our needs, but also trust him when he disciplines us. We should trust him when he disciplines us. Proverbs 3, look in verse 11. Again, this is right after trusting him with all our hearts. He said, my son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his what? Correction. The word despise means to spurn, to abhor disdain. So often when we go through hard times, many times our hard times we go through is God chastening us. God correcting us. How many have experienced God's correction? We all have as part of being the Christian. He corrects us. God said, don't despise that. What should you do while you're being chastened? Trust him. Trust him. Verse 12, for whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father of the son whom he delights. Go with me now, if you please. Keep your finger here. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12, page 1695, for those using the church Bible. Hebrews 12. Here, right, Hebrews takes what we read in Proverbs and applies it to our lives. Takes what we read in Proverbs and he applies it to our lives. Hebrews 12, verse 5. See if this doesn't sound familiar. It's a quote from Proverbs 3. Hebrews 12, 5. Verse 5, it said, And have you forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children? My son despised not the chastening of the Lord, neither be faint when thou rebuked him. So this, he quoted from Proverbs. Now he gives us four things that discipline brings. And I hope you write them down. If you're here today and you're saved and you're experiencing God's chastisement, you can find great joy in this truth, in the midst of getting a good spanking. First of all, God's discipline demonstrates God's love. It's an act of love on the part of a father toward a child. Verse 6, he, again, he quotes verse 12 of Proverbs 3. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he what? Receives. Every parent understands this. If you have children, there are times you correct them. Why do you correct them? You do it because you hate them? No, because you love them. You see them doing things that will ruin their hurt their life, and you want to correct them, so you discipline them. My friend, God sees us do things that will hurt us and ruin our lives, so God corrects us because he loves us. Demonstration of love. Next, it proves ownership. When God corrects us, it proves ownership. Look in verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 12. He said, if ye, speaking to Christian, if ye endure, it means you're going through God's correction, his chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons, for what son is he whom the father chastens not? Then he goes on to say in verse 8, but if ye be without chastisement, whereof how many are partakers? Circle that in your Bible. All. It means every one of us one day will experience, all the partakers, if you're without chastisement, 
then notice the strong word the Bible uses, then you are bastards and not sons. That means illegitimate. As a person, if I claim to be a Christian, claim to be a child of God, and I have sin in my life, known sin, that I'm doing things contrary to God's word, and I know it, and I do not see God intervene and correct me, you know what it means? I'm not saved. The Bible says, if you be without chastisement, or all are partakers, then you are, it says, then you are illegitimate and not a son. My father, physically father, let me know many times I was his son. I remember one time I came home with a bad grade on my report card. You ever did that before? I was not an A student. Uh, he knew I came home with an F in math. And he looked at it, and he looked at me and said, son, you can do better than that. You may not be an A student, but you're better than an F. I could do better than an F. I hated math. I was cutting up, not paying attention, and got the results of it. He told me, he said, son, if you bring home another F, you're going to get it. <laughs> now, I knew what that meant. <laughs> that meant, <laughs> I mean, know what that means. <laughs> and so, the next eight weeks, come home another report card. I did not voluntarily show it to him because he had another F. And I walk in, and he said, David, let me see your report card. And he, I gave it to him, went up and looked at it, and he looked at it, and he said, Dave, what did I tell you? He told me if I got another F, I'm going to get it. <laughs> he said, okay. And he pulled his belt off, and boy, did he tear me up. Now, get a speed ahead. The next report card, I came home with a C. <laughs> but anyway... He told me, and boy, I remember that very well, and I was crying. After it was all done, all of a sudden at the door, I go to the door, and it was my best friend, Ricky, who lived about three houses down. He was my best friend, same class, same grade with me, and he also made an F because we both hated math, and we were both cutting up during class. Come on in, Ricky. Glad to see you. Hey, Dad, Ricky's here. Guess what, Dad? He made an F, too. Now I thought I'd hear that unpleasant noise of the belt coming from the loops. You know what I'm talking And he was spank Ricky. My dad said, I'm sorry to hear that. And he walked away. <laughs> I did not understand. And so later on, after Ricky left and before I went to bed, I said, Dad, I got a question. I made an F, you spanked me. Ricky made an F, you did nothing. Why? You know the answer. Dave, because you belong to me and Ricky does not. Listen to me, please. The, the unbeliever can do something wrong and see not, will not see God intervene. But you do it and God will. Why? Because you belong to God and they don't. God does not chasten the unbeliever. One day they'll stand before God and give an account of their sin and be judged by going to hell. But chastisement is not punishment for sin. It's correction for sin. And God will do that. It proves ownership. Real quickly, number three, discipline also brings reverence and respect. Discipline brings reverence and respect. Look in verse 9. He says, furthermore, we have our fathers of our flesh, that's our physical dad, which corrected us, and we gave them what? Reverence. Shall we not much rather be in the subjection unto the Father of spiritual, heavenly Father, and live? I learned to revere and respect Carl Peterson because he was a man of his word. He told me something. He said, every time, he said, he said son, if you do this again, you're going to get it. And sometimes, I, I look back now how stupid I was. I would get, test that. 
and I would try it again, and I got it. <laughs> and so it happened many, many times. So I learned to respect my dad. He was a man of his word. My friend, God is a person of his word. And you need, we will learn to respect him because he will correct us when we do wrong. It brings reverence and respect. And lastly, the fourth thing that discipline brings, it is for our profit. It is for our profit. Verse 10, for they, to much of physical father, the fathers of the flesh, verily for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure, but he, the father of the spirit, your heavenly father, for our what? Profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. My friend, when God disciplines us always for your good, I am a much better man because I had a physical dad who corrected me when I did wrong. I learned to hate lying because my dad hated lying. The worst spanking I ever got was when I lied to my dad. I lied to him once, but I learned to hate lying. I learned to be a person of my word because I learned it from my dad. It was for my prophet. But I'm a much better Christian because I have a heavenly father that corrects me. And he cares for me. He does it because he loves me. He shows me that I belong to him. It brings reverence and respect for him and also is for my profit. So we're talking about how to apply the scriptures this morning. How can I apply trust in him with all my heart? How can I apply him and knowledge him in all my ways? By honoring him with my substance and trusting him when he corrects me. And number three, lastly, another way we can apply this is trusting God is required for salvation. Trusting God is required for salvation. God's salvation is contrary to human reasoning and wisdom. Don't you understand this? God's salvation is contrary to human wisdom and reasoning. Look over here, please. Here's what man does. He takes his own understanding, his own wisdom, and he looks at God's salvation. Now, he's already learned anything in life of any value costs and requires merit. He thinks of a nice car. How long can you finance a car for? Three, five, seven years. I saw one the other day. It was 10 years because it was so expensive. So you can work seven, 10 years for a car because it's so expensive, so valuable. How about a home? How long can you finance a home for? Up to 30 years. So they take that reasoning and understand heaven. Oh, how much valuable heaven is. I got to work all my life to get there. Yet the Bible says... It's free. Do you understand that? Human reasons. No, it's not. You've got to earn it. It's free. It's contrary to human understanding and wisdom. So when it comes to salvation, trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he should direct your paths. Human reasoning says you've got to work your way there. But number two, on this point, God's salvation is contrary to human reasoning and wisdom. But salvation... By grace glorifies God. Salvation by grace glorifies God. But first, the message of salvation degrades man and his goodness. The message of salvation degrades man and his goodness. That's why so many reject the gospel. Because they say it, it, uh, it degrades them. Let me tell you how it degrades them. Go with me now to Romans chapter 3, our last scripture. Turn with me, please. Romans 3, page 1585. The gospel of grace offends people. I'm going to tell you how in just a moment. 
The gospel of grace glorifies God but offends man. Romans chapter 3, when you find that, look here, please. Salvation by works exalts man and his own goodness. It says, I can be good enough to go to heaven. Though I'm a sinner, I can do what's good. And people think, well, I'm, I know I'm a sinner, but I'm not that bad. I, I do good things. What does God think of your goodness? What does the Bible say about your righteousness? My friend, this is offensive of our human pride. Look what it says in Romans chapter 3, verse 10. As it is written, there are some that are righteous. Yes, there are some. Does it say that? There is what? None righteous. No, not one. There's none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They are altogether unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not what? So when a sinner comes to God and looks at himself, he said, you know, the very best I can do is filth in God's sight. And that, that's offensive. That humbles us tremendously, does it not? The hardest thing about being saved is realize you can't save yourself. Because the very best you can do in God's sight is filth. So salvation by grace, first of all, it degrades man's goodness, but also it exalts God in his righteousness. Salvation by grace exalts God in his righteousness. Look in verse 21 in Romans 3. Notice the contrast, but. He's talking about man's goodness. None doeth good. No, not one. No righteous. None, not one. Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophet. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by what? Faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all that believe. Listen carefully, please. When I come to God and I see myself as he sees me, at my very best is filthy rags. I can't do anything righteous. I can't do anything good before God. I can't earn my salvation because my works is unacceptable to God. So that degrades me, but it exalts him. Listen carefully. The goodness, the righteousness that you need to enter the presence of a holy God is given to you free by faith. But the righteousness of God, which is by faith in Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all that believe. What does that mean? His righteousness, which is required for you to go to heaven, is offered unto everybody. But it's only given unto all that believe. Let me say that again. It's offered to everybody. Everybody. But it's given only unto those who believe. When you by faith believe, receive Christ as Savior, the Bible says your faith is counted for righteousness. And the Bible says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. And when I realize my best is unacceptable to God, I cannot earn my salvation, can't work made in heaven. And I realize that Christ loves me in spite of that. And I trust him to save me and forgive me and give eternal life. The faith I place in Christ as my Savior, God said that counted for your righteousness. And God imputes to me his righteousness. And the record books of heaven, God sees David Peterson as righteous as God. <laughs> Because of my faith. That's true of everybody. And so that God, salvation by grace degrades man in his goodness, but exalts God in his righteousness. And that's offered to you also. Now let me conclude with this. Look down to verse 
27 of Romans. Did you already close your Bibles? <laughs> Romans 3, verse 27. I love this. He says, where is boasting then? It's excluded. When it comes to salvation, can man boast? Because you at your very best is filthy rags. There's nothing good about you. I can't boast about my salvation. Where then is boasting? <clears throat> Go and say, by the law, the law means principle of works. Nay, but by the principle of what? The law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified, declared righteous by faith without the deeds of the law. Look up here, please, and we'll close with this. What is saying here that you cannot boast about a gift. You didn't earn it. You didn't merit it. You didn't deserve it. God gave it to you free. The boasting only God can do. I, where then is boasting in salvation by grace? Excluded. There is none. It's salvation by grace through faith. If you're here today or watching by live stream, if you're not certain heaven's your home, you're not certain you have eternal life, you need to realize you can't earn your salvation. You can't earn God's favor. It's given to you freely by grace. You need to realize there's nothing good about you, nothing acceptable that you can do before a holy God. However, God says you've got to be as righteous as he is to go to heaven. How can I get that? He'll give it to you when you trust him. By faith, you're counted for righteousness. So if you've never trusted Christ, why not do it today? At that very moment, God declares you righteous. In his sight, you're as righteous as he is based upon your faith. If you are saved, Christian, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He should direct your paths. Let's bow together, please. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, we conclude our service. Today, I've been speaking primary to the believer, those that know Christ. And we saw God's command, both positive and negative. Then we saw the wonderful outcome of obeying his command. And I pray, Christian, I'd ask that you take what we learned today, apply it to your life, and see God's wonderful blessings upon you. God blesses those who obey him. God blesses those who serve him. And I encourage you to do that. But if you're here today and you've never received Christ as Savior, God offers you a gift today. It's called salvation. It's called forgiveness. It's called eternal life, a home in heaven. It's not earned. It's not merited. He offers it to you freely. Your part is to receive his son as your Savior. To realize you cannot save yourself and receive Christ to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. He died for you. He was buried and rose again and offers you eternal life as a gift. You say, Pastor, that's good news. Yes, it is. Why not trust him as your Savior? Do it right now. Right where you're sitting, talk to God. And maybe say something like this. Say, dear God of heaven, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I acknowledge I cannot do anything to please you that's good in your sight. And I realize because I've sinned, I owe a penalty. The penalty of my sin's death. But God, I believe your son, Jesus, paid the penalty for me. I believe that when Jesus died, he died for me. He died on the cross to pay for my sin. He was buried and he rose again. And right here today, realizing I cannot save myself. 
I'm trusting Christ to save me. I'm trusting him to forgive me and to give me eternal life. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed. My friend, did that make sense to you? Did you trust Christ as your Savior today? If you did, I'd like to pray for you. I want to include you in my closing prayer. I'm not going to point you out and embarrass you. I'm going to do this with heads bowed and eyes are closed. No one will be put on the spot. But if you understood that today for the first time and you trusted Christ as your Savior here today, with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you simply raise your hand so I can include you in my closing prayer? Anyone at all? Pastor, here's my hand. I trusted Christ. Would you pray for me? Anyone at all? Father in heaven, I hope that means each one has already made that decision. Therefore, we have commands of you in the book of Proverbs to trust you in all that we do. And do not lean to our own human reason and wisdom, but acknowledge you in all our ways. And Lord, you said you make our paths smooth and much easier in life. Help us to do that, that we can have your blessings upon us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.